Going live. Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And we've got a packed show today as far as topics go. Um, but, you know, we always love it when people call in and want to talk about what is on your mind versus what's on Jay's mind because Jay's brain goes in funny directions sometimes, and uh, maybe it might not be what you want to talk about. So always remember, we're calling show, and it's your opportunity if you're out in Lane County or even anywhere in Oregon to talk to a county commissioner directly, an elected official, and tell them what you think. (laughs) So, Call us at 646-721-9887 and just press 1 so we know you want to get on the air because some people call in just to listen to the show because they're away from their computers. Again, 646-721-9887. Press 1 and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So all sorts of things I want to talk about today from vaccine mandates and racism to Indigenous Peoples Day, to, um, you know, eco-terrorists being appointed to head the Bureau of Land Management managing public forest lands, somebody that actually was involved in spiking trees, and not only that, lied to Congress about it in, in her confirmation hearings, but we'll get to that. And we'll also get to things like our attorney general now promising to kind of use the Patriot Act to go after parents who are starting to protest at school board meetings and express their opinions to the folks that they elected to run the schools that their children are in. Oh, my God, they're terrorists. Nope, the head of BLM's a terrorist. And the only reason she wasn't convicted was she turned state's evidence against her fellow terrorist. But that's a long story. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But, you know, I, I just have to, to quickly touch on Facebook because we come to you Facebook Live here. And it's a you know excellent platform for reaching out to people. But everybody should always understand it's a business. And it's a business that's owned by people that have political leanings. And if you think that this 
whistleblower and all that is happening kind of without Facebook completely having some knowledge of it, and if there isn't sort of an agenda behind it all, you're not paying attention. Because if you notice, the only thing they've been talking about relative to Facebook and creating these arguments and everything has been the January 6th insurrection um, and nothing else where Facebook has been involved in creating controversy or nothing else where Facebook has either buried stuff and, and labeled it as false, like the Hunter Biden laptop story, or actually let false information go out that created division, like the Trump stealing mailboxes story. You know, it just, it's what's really happening is they're inviting Congress to regulate the speech on the internet. They want it in some ways because they want to have cover for what they do and get criticized for. And it's not going to be applied equally. Believe me, what they're looking to do is to shut down the voices that they don't agree with, the people that have the power, the people that own the Facebooks of the world, the people that are in Congress and in the majority currently. That's what they're aiming for. And it'll all be about, you know, we have to, you know, tone things down and, and avoid things like January 6th. And no one ever talks about, you know, all the Antifa protests in Portland for over 100 nights in a row. And, you know, the fact that they actually, you know, if the attorney general wants to go after some people that threaten elected officials, because that's what, quote, the reasoning behind his attacking parents, is that there's been some threats against school board members. What about the people that invaded the lobby of the Portland mayor's apartment? And some of them actually started fires in that lobby. Where is the arrests in those crowds and charging with terrorism under the Patriot Act? But we digress. I want to start and do this in some kind of logical manner because I'll go off in all sorts of directions. But I also want to remind folks, you can interrupt my chain train of thought anytime you want to. Um, my train jumps the rails pretty easily anyway. 646-721-9887 and press one so we know you want to get on the show. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But I want to start out with this data that recently came out uh, from the state of Oregon where they did um, vaccination rates by race, by county, and then for the entire state. And no matter how you look at the data, Caucasians, whites, 70-some percent vaccination rate in Lane County here. Now, we're the, in Lane County, not in other counties, but in Lane County, the only minority that's ahead of that is our native Hawaiian Pacific Islander population, but that is a tiny little fraction of Lane County's population. There's only about a little over 2,000 people that fit that category in Lane County. While, of course, you know, the white population here in Lane County is um, 
somewhere around 250,000. So just to kind of give it a, a way, but the other populations of minorities like uh, Native Americans, there's over 10,000 in Lane County. Asians, over 12,000. Blacks, almost 7,000. So, you know, way beyond Pacific Islanders. But when you look at the vaccination rates for those minorities, lagging behind the most are those Native Americans at 46%. Blacks, 52%. Our Hispanic population, which is our largest minority in Lane County at over 20 5,000 are only at 53%. Whites at 73, Hispanics at 53, Blacks at 52. So when you think about vaccine mandates, which my progressive colleagues on the board all supported in that closed door meeting, And it required our employees all to be vaccinated by November 1st. Do you think maybe there might be a disproportionate impact by race on those mandates? These are the same progressives that earlier this year voted to declare racism a public health emergency and crisis. Yet they're willing to support a vaccine mandate that's going to disproportionately displace those same minorities that have historic racism, according to all of them, them, out of their jobs more than the white people. I mean, these vaccine mandates are basically let's clean house and and get a, a more white workforce. Does that seem like it's meeting all these goals that they have around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Where's the defund the police folks and all that stuff that are screaming about structural racism and and institutional racism? Because when you really think about it, one of the reasons why some of those populations have a low vaccination rate is they have a huge distrust of our medical community because historically they've been experimented on or been abused by the use of medical knowledge. Can we say smallpox blankets? No one is talking about this. I haven't heard boo from the social justice warriors or my progressive board members about this issue, that this vaccine mandate that they supported in a closed door meeting is going to disproportionately impact minorities. Now, I fully support people getting vaccinated. I don't support mandating it, but I believe the vaccines safe for most of the population. 
if I was a young woman, I would not get the Johnson and Johnson. Just saying. <laughs> Louis agrees with me. <laughs> really? <laughs> and it's live. Come here, Lou. All right. Sorry about that. Poodle have to chime in now and then, too, just like you can chime in at 646-721-9887. But as I said, my train of thought can be derailed. But, you know, it's really interesting to watch all this talk about, you know, since, you know, the the big, uh, you know, George Floyd and everything else, how we were, you know, got to dive in and fix all this institutionalized racism. Yet people were so willing to support vaccinations that are going to disproportionately affect minorities, vaccine mandates. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm fully vaccinated. My wife's fully vaccinated. My employees, you know, and my wife's business are fully vaccinated. I encourage them to get vaccinated. Um, you know, and I encourage a lot of people just, you know, look at the data. If, if you're concerned, and, and I can, I can, I can understand that concern because, Lord knows, you've, there's been enough conflicting signals from the FDA voting not to widely distribute the boosters to the CDC basically ignoring the FDA and saying, we're going to widely distribute the boosters. (laughs) Yeah. And giving very mixed signals, you know, from supposedly the people that have the technical knowledge and you hear mixed signals all the time and you hear stories that you don't quite understand or are able to put into context, such as some of the, the deaths that have been tentatively connected to vaccination that is, you know, I have to say a lot of it's under investigation. We don't know for sure. Um, but there does seem to be some issue with the Johnson Johnson and young women that are on birth control and blood clots and a few other issues. Um, yeah, so I haven't heard that, though, for the other two vaccinations. You know, so but there has been approximately 8,000 deaths in the U.S., that are possibly tied to vaccinations. Now, it could be a non-causal relationship once it's investigated fully. We don't know. But you also have to think about how many doses of vaccine have actually gone out in the U.S. looking at that death rate. 400,000 doses. So when you think about 8,000 deaths somewhere close to somebody getting a dose. Well, if you randomly gave out 4,000 pennies across the U.S., I'm pretty sure within, you know, a couple of weeks or, you know, of giving out those pennies, 8,000 of those people that received a penny might die. Doesn't mean the penny killed them. But just kind of understanding that, that, that there's, you know, some of those statistics. And there are people that have gotten sick. There have been allergic reactions, that's one of the things that's a contraindicator to getting vaccinated is somebody that has severe allergy issues. I've 
seen it happen, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, my sister-in-law is one of those people that is deathly allergic to shellfish. And when she got her first vaccine, she had a horrible reaction and never got the second. So she's, quote, not fully vaccinated. Yeah, but she has a medical reason for not completing the vaccinations. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it'll be interesting to see how some of this works out with the vaccines, but um, for the most part, they're safe for the general population. Almost all vaccines have adverse reactions and almost all vaccines actually have some deaths tied to them even. But usually it's such a small percentage in comparison to the impacts of the actual disease that vaccine's preventing. Whether it's a hepatitis or a influenza vaccine, the, you know, some of the consequences of having some of those diseases for a lot of people is really much worse than ever, you know, than, than any of the vaccine reactions. So regardless of my critique about mandates and the impact of mandates and the embedded racism in mandates right now around vaccines, I fully support people going out and getting vaccinated. It's the best way to protect yourself against the COVID virus. And significant hospitalizations and bills and whatever else, yes, they're coming up with new treatments that are going to make it easier to recover from COVID and less likely that you'll die. Doesn't mean you won't be hospitalized. Doesn't mean you won't be charged an arm and a leg for those treatments. And I sure hope you got good insurance. <laughs> I can't imagine the number of people when I'm hearing numbers, you know, for hospital stays averaging anywhere from 20,000 to over 70,000, depending on which study you look at, how many people that have had COVID and gotten hospitalized, you know, there's over 700 people in the hospital in Oregon today with COVID. So that's 700 families that are going to have to deal with a twenty to $70,000 hospital bill that's that's a significant you know even if even if you got insurance your 20% copay is going to be pretty hefty i don't know what your out of pocket maximum is do you have that in your savings account not to mention i'm sure that those people if they're an earner in their family probably exceeded their their maximum leave available and ended up without a paycheck for a while and may not be able to go directly back to work once discharged from the hospital So kind of, you know, for all sorts of good reasons, protecting yourself, taking the precautions. You know, if you're, if you're good with the vaccine and in a population that can get it without a lot of complication like myself, you know, and, um, get the vaccine. That's one of the best protections. Wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay home if you're sick, all that good stuff. And we'll get past this. But do we need to mandate? Are mandates some kind of institutionalized racism for vaccination? Do they actually help convince people to get vaccinated? 
I have yet to hear somebody go, oh, my gosh, the, gov- the government's mandating this. I think I'm going to have to go do it because the government says it's a good idea. Even though I'm not in the population that's being mandated right now, I'm just going to jump right in and, and do whatever it is that they're mandating because everybody trusts the government. Oh, my gosh. Racism is a public health crisis, according to these people that voted to mandate a vaccine that is going to create disproportionate impact in minority populations when it comes to their employment. And on top of that, the governor said, if you get lose your employment because you won't adhere to a vaccine mandate, we're not going to give you your unemployment, which your employer and yourself have been contributing to. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You know, that quote, insurance, unemployment insurance. No, that doesn't matter. You wouldn't get the the shot. Therefore, not only are you going to lose your job, minorities, we're not going to give you your entitlement from the government when it comes to unemployment. I can't wait to see some of the lawsuits that are going to crop up over the next six months. It's going to be fascinating to watch this from a, you know, I, I sort of consider myself a, uh, um, you know, kind of a self-educated law geek in some ways, just because I've had to deal with the law so much as an engineer, whether it was the rules for public contracting or the rules for um, land development work and planning and land use um, to, you know, now as a commissioner, the rules that govern, you know, bargaining with unions to, you know, you know, employment law and everything else that goes on. You know, I seem to have gotten my own education in the law over the, and, and it's going to be fascinating to watch possibly some of the tort claims that are going to come up. And, you know, if I, were, if I was an ambulance chasing attorney, I'd be running around looking for some of those minorities that that are getting discharged because of the vaccine mandate and thinking about those um, civil suits. Uh, I think it, the, the section of federal codes, 1987 or something like that, where you can actually um, get a huge settlement on, on a civil rights violation. And if you're, if the, you know, the government that gets loses those cases pays the attorney fees for the, person that, that, that sued him. So as a, as a, as an ambulance chaser, I'd be looking for some of those cases right now. If I was, I was into uh, some of this tort law and everything, um, because I'm sure you're going to make some money over the next several years, you know, settling some of these cases with, with various local state and federal government entities that are laying off more minorities due to COVID vaccine mandates, then they are going to be laying off white people, and it's going to be fairly easy to prove statistically. (laughs) Um, Yeah, 
I think there's a trouble of brewing right now. And you know what the simplest, easy way to fix that is? Lift the mandates. Because you know what? We're in our fifth week in a row, fourth or fifth week in a row of cases dropping across the U.S. and in this state and Lane County. We're, I, we're not out of the woods. We're still above the peaks from any of the prior peaks. Well, we're coming down from the largest peak we ever had, and we're coming down slowly. We're still coming down. We've, you know, there's no need to slow, you know, slow the the curve or you know, to to whatever they were, you know, looking for before. You know, the curve is slowed and it's going the correct direction. So why do we need these mandates out in the future? For employees, you know, if if we've already slowed the, the the curve and turned it the correct direction, go back to trying to convince people without coercion, because it's the coercion that's building the resistance and making people not trust us. Simple, easy. I would encourage my fellow board of commissioners to direct our county administrator to reverse our vaccine mandate policy for our employees. I would encourage the governor of Oregon to reverse her vaccine mandate policies. I would encourage the president pull back on his. They're not needed. They're going to be extremely destructive to our workforce. I mean, just look at the state of Oregon today announced that they're easing the restrictions on becoming a substitute teacher. Hmm, I wonder why. They're going to let just about anybody teach your kids now because they're going to fire a bunch of teachers and more minority teachers than white teachers, by the way, on a percent basis. (laughs) They're going to dump a bunch of teachers over a vaccine mandate, and they're going to bring in people that don't even have bachelor degrees to teach your kids because they've dropped that requirement and they've made it simple and easy for people to apply to be substitute teachers. Just wait till the first, you know, child abuse case by one of these lower qualified substitute teachers happens. (laughs) That'll serve the state, right? Like, why? Why are we doing this? It makes no sense. While we're talking a little bit about, you know, the ideas of racism and everything else, I just have to say that Eugene Weekly, as I like to refer to him, Eugene a week late, <laughs> um, usually they're way behind in getting stories out, but they put, you know, they're now they actually are on on the Internet. Sometimes they actually get them out relatively close to when things happen. But in their article about Lane County declaring Indigenous Peoples Day, they basically blew off my observation that Homo sapiens and mankind, as we call it, evolved in Africa, East Africa to be specific, and spread out across the globe from there in various migrations and entered the U.S. in waves of migration. 
And actually, it went back and forth between Asia and the U.S., and there was actually a, a, a subcontinent during some of the Ice Age called Beringia up in the Bering Straits, um, you know, all sorts of things. But it, it's something that takes about four seconds to verify with a Google search. Origins of Homo sapiens, geographic origins of Homo sapiens, however you want to put it. And you get the Smithsonian, National Geographic, you know, NPR, and everybody else, every, every you know, liberal, supposedly science says mankind origin, Africa. But they basically, you know, poo-pooed the fact that I made that observation and, and observed the fact that almost all people are not truly indigenous. We migrated from somewhere. And in fact, those migrations happened in waves. And quite often, the people we assign as indigenous day pushed a population out that was there prior to their migration. And now that... that either pushed that population out by competition, they may have pushed it out by war, they may have pushed it out because they brought a new disease into that population. We don't have all that because it's prehistoric, you know, and we're developing these these um, evidence based on everything from, you know, uh, skeletal remains and, and, and various tool remains in archaeological digs to DNA tracing they're starting to do that's confirming some of these and, and actually showing that there's actually, you know, besides the waves of migration that came into the Americas, occasionally when that land bridge opened up, there was a reverse migration back into Asia to some degree. Not as, not as many, but there, it, there's back and forth, which is one of the reasons why there's populations in that portion of Siberia and, and, and all that have very close genetic ties to what we think of as, as the Pacific Northwest Native Americans. Um, so there's, it's very fascinating, you know, the, the, the history of that. And that's all I was asking for was to have some conversation and understanding of, of that, that how mankind populated this earth and how we just have historically always displaced people. Columbus came over and started colonizing. The difference was he took a boat instead of a land bridge in an ice age. But it's something that had been happening on this globe since man rose up from its predecessors and became homo sapiens and started spreading out, started forming cultures that were more specialized to the areas they they got isolated in. Then they took over other cultures and moved around as scarcity of food or, or resources or just population drove them to, particularly climate-driven migrations. And that's the history of our world. But for some reason, taking a boat to do that kind of migration is different than 
the other migrations that were done by foot. Hmm, seems like we have a bunch of people migrating in the U.S. now by foot over our southern border. And that seems to be okay. But I guess if they, you know, were taking boats here, it might be different. Like maybe some of the people that were taking boats from Cuba into Florida. I don't know. But, yeah, it's just, you know, it's to just have a realistic conversation about some of this, whether we're talking Indigenous Peoples Day or vaccine mandates, and eliminate the, some of the emotion and have a realistic discussion. Because, yes, in 1492, in the 15th century, Columbus took slaves when he came to America. But you know what? Joseph Lane, the hated namesake of Lane County, had a Native American slave that was given to him by a tribe that took that slave from another tribe. Almost 400 years later, Yes, let's not consider any of that history, and let's just go ahead and wipe out one piece of history and try and replace it with another, and of course, we all have to feel guilty about it because you might have ancestry that ties back to the people that emigrated by boats instead of by foot. But I'm going to switch gears here in a second. I'm going to offer folks a quick opportunity to call in at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get on the show here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, 646-721-9887. Because I want to talk a little bit about this whole thing with the Bureau of Land Management and our Attorney General. We have a new... um, head of our Bureau of Land Management. And I really wasn't aware of this until the actual appointment vote and somebody notified me about it. But this person has a history. And that history really is not a good one when you think about the Pacific Northwest. People here remember some of the eco-terrorism that went on back in the 80s, where people were spiking trees. And And I don't know if you know what tree spiking is, but basically what they were doing was if they knew an area of a forest, a public forest was up for sale, they would go in and hammer large, like, 10 to 16 penny nails into trees so that if the tree was cut down and sent to the mill, when it went through the sawmill with those high speed blades that the the sawmills use at the head to start cutting these things into boards, would hit that nail and basically explode, sending shrapnel all over the place because those things, you know, are at such high speed 
and put people's lives in danger. So knowing that an area had been spiked makes it very difficult. And at that time, they didn't have good metal detection or something that they could look into logs and look for that sort of thing. It was basically a way of, you know, putting people's lives in jeopardy to try and stop timber sale based on their thoughts of, you know, whether it was good or bad for the for the environment. So it's kind of really, you know, hard to, to talk about anyone that was involved in that as anything other than a terrorist. They knew at the time they hammered those nails in or, or participated with a group that was doing that, that they were putting people's lives at risk. They were fairly innocent people. I mean, the guy running the head, the head saw, header saws at a mill, you know, were just getting paid by the hour, trying to support a family, working class people. You know, they weren't making any huge profit or anything like that, but that's the people that were going to probably get hurt and possibly die when that saw hit a nail in that log. Turns out that this woman that was nominated to be our new head of the Bureau of Land Management was part of a group that notified the U.S. Forest Service that they had spiked a tree sale. Now, the FBI found her and was going to charge her, and to she cut a plea deal, basically, and ratted out her, her fellow eco-terrorists in exchange for not going to prison. And uh, this Miss Tracy Stone Manning is, the, you know, one of these people that that basically was part of all of that. There was an investigation. She was found, and then she turned state's evidence. She was asked during the Senate hearing whether she'd ever been the target of a federal investigation. And she denied that she was. Now, mind you, she would never have turned and and cut an immunity deal if she hadn't been under investigation. Under a federal investigation, because it was a U.S. Forest Service sale that was spiked. But, you know, this person's worked for a couple Democrats, a Democrat senator and a, a Democrat governor at one point. So she's, you know, okay with that side. And our president nominated her to head up this federal agency that takes care of federal forests. Somebody that was willing to put somebody's life at risk in an act of terrorism is now in charge of two points, 
something like 2.3 million acres in Oregon and several hundred million acres across the U.S. I, I, I got to go back and look at the statistics again. But how in the world could the 50 Senate Democrats vote to appoint her and confirm her? While at the same time, Merrick Garland, our new attorney general, another Biden appointee, so he appoints a terrorist to one post, and now his attorney general is trying to consider and, and sort of threatening parents that are, that are coming to school board meetings to protest having their five-year-olds and six-year-olds wear masks all day or protesting having their five- and six-year-olds made to feel guilty because their, their skin color makes them racist. Um, that action is going to kind of put them on a watch list, basically, as terrorists. Equals terrorism. Actual terrorist act, you get to be appointed head of a federal agency. Remember what I said about Facebook earlier in the program? They're going after speech time and time again. You can't speak out. Now, I don't agree with anyone threatening a public official. And I mean threatening in the sense of, of a threat that is, that is legally considered a threat. You know, being angry at somebody is not a threat. Testifying angrily is not a threat. But if you say, I'm going to do this to you at such and such a time, and this is the place I'm going to do it, that's an actionable threat that you can actually get arrested for making. Not many of those actually are really happening. I've actually had them against myself as an elected official. In fact, I've had one that the person made the mistake of making a threat more than once, and in the last instance of making a threat, actually included a judge in his group of people he was threatening, which at that point, the FBI and, and, and the Eugene Police Department got very interested in it and, you know, when it was just some conservative commissioners. That wasn't that big of a deal. The FBI didn't care. But as soon as you put a, a, a judge that's registered as a Democrat on that list, Holy moly, we got the FBI investigating. <laughs> Not saying there's anything, you know, remotely prejudiced about that action, but yeah, maybe. Uh, but, you know, it's not a good thing to get a, you know, a serious threat as an elected official. It's a little bit nerve-wracking, especially when it was in the middle of a re-election campaign where I was advertising, going out in the public with absolutely no security because I don't have any. As a county commissioner, there's no, I'm not the governor. I don't have a state police officer with a pistol following me around, driving me all over the place in a a full security detail. I'm not a senator or congressman where I've got security details. I'm a county commissioner. I don't even have staff, personal staff, let alone security details. 
So when I advertise during my campaign that I'm going to be out in a small town to do a coffee and I'm going to be at a public place at a certain time, whoever made that threat sees that same advertising probably. Don't think that's a little nerve-wracking to know, you know, and somebody puts that, you know, AR ammunition in the envelope with the threat, stating that they're former military. Yeah, that should be looked into. And if they're getting serious threats like that, yes, Merrick Garland should be looking into that. But he came out publicly, and usually when they look into those, they don't go public with looking into them. Because they want to catch the people that are actually making them. But when you come out and publicly start talking about certain groups of people that have been exercising their rights to of redress of their government, their First Amendment rights, that is chilling of free speech. This is a guy that was going to be on our Supreme Court Possibly. I'm so glad he's not. Oh, my goodness. Actual echo terrorists put people's lives in danger out of a federal agency. You're a parent and upset at a school board that's you elected and are supposed to be serving you about your child's education. You're a terrorist. I don't wonder if it's upside down world, upside down day. What's going on here? But let's take a pause. Think about all that for a minute. Think about if there's something else you'd rather talk about. Or if there's any of that 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 rises to the level where you want to talk to me. And give me a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1. We'll have a conversation about, you know, the progressives and their desire to mandate vaccinations that are going to disproportionately affect minorities. While at the same time, voting to declare racism a public health emergency. Not to mention the fact that looking beyond the whole racial aspect of vaccine mandates, we are seeing hospital staff go away. We are seeing public safety staff like firemen and police go away over this vaccine mandate. We are seeing our public works staff start to go away because of this vaccine mandate. And that's just starting. It's going to get worse. Now, public works are the guys that run, you know, your sewage treatment plants, your water treatment plant, and your solid waste, you know, systems. You think making those staffs thinner is a public health crisis, maybe? You think cutting back on hospital staff that's supposedly already stressed from the COVID surge, it doesn't have a public health impact? Think losing firemen 
and our ability to respond to accidents and fires and emergencies isn't a public health issue. Whether you are vaccinated and, and happy with being vaccinated and think everyone should be vaccinated or not, mandating vaccines does not make good public health policy sense, period, right now. And everybody should be contacting their elected officials from the county on up to the state, to the federal government, and saying reverse the mandates. Get rid of them. They're causing more public health issues than they're helping. They're causing disproportionate impact in minorities, and they're causing distrust of the vaccine and ultimately going to hurt our fight against this disease. Don't call me. I'm on your side. You know, those folks that are contacting me about vaccine mandates and, and, and you know, doing the, the the boilerplate emails, one of the things I will tell you is don't do boilerplate emails. They don't convince public officials to do anything. Once you get three of them, you realize somebody's got a boilerplate out there that where people can just click and send emails doesn't really mean that they've made much of an effort. Send a personal note to these various elected officials. Send one to Chair Bernie or to Commissioner Buck and ask them to rescind Lane County's vaccine mandate for the employees. Send one to our governor and in your own words, tell her why you think it's not a good idea. Send them to the White House. Send them to your senators and your congressmen and ask them to to please pull back on the idea of a federal mandate. Pretty sure the federal mandate on private business is gonna get thrown out court eventually but the damage that might do in the interim is just catastrophic. I mean, we have such a workforce shortage right now that we have ships stacking up off the California coast, dragging their anchors across oil pipelines because we can't get them unloaded because we don't have the personnel in the port or the truck drivers to drive the containers away. Now, how many of those ports and trucking companies have more than 100 employees? And how many of those employees might just go, you know what, I'm close enough to retirement, screw this. I'm not getting this shot. I don't trust it. I don't trust our our government. Or I got the shot. I just don't want to prove it to the damn government to keep my job. As we start watching toilet paper get limited at Costco and paper towels and you go to the store and you can't find half the ingredients of something you want to cook. And you look at all those ships sitting off the coast of California. Ask yourself, do vaccine mandates make sense? Which is more damaging? 
economic disturbance that those supply chains issues that are being created and going to be made worse by vaccine mandates or the COVID right now as we're on the downside of the Delta surge. Almost all of the vaccine mandates make absolutely no recognition for the people that have actually recovered from having COVID. Really rethink this. What's going on there, Rob? I'm getting an echo. All right. Sounds better. Thank you. <laughs> so still got about five minutes left in the program. You just jump in, give us a call, 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bozno Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press one. So before we leave the show, I just have to note that, you know, the homeless issue still is big. I know I haven't talked about that at all today in our show, and I know that's really important to some the businesses out in West Lane County. And I just want to say I I, I feel for those businesses. Uh, people put their their lives into some of these businesses, and they're being absolutely devastated by some of the impacts of the homeless. But watching the city of Eugene open a campsite that's going to serve 55 vehicles and cost over almost $10,000 per vehicle annually just for the operational cost of the, quote, safe sleep site, you could rent an RV space for a year for a lot less than 10000 bucks. You know, at, at a local RV park. Maybe we ought to think about making it easier for people to, to open RV parks. You know how hard it is to open an RV park anywhere outside of a city limit right now in Oregon? How restrictive that is under our land use laws? Five hundred and forty some thousand dollars a year for fifty five people. Ah, Robin's dying to get in on that one. <laughs> well, I got to turn up my mic too. Yeah, multitasking here. Uh, I'm sorry. Is there land use laws on RV parking? Oh, it, there's land use laws on building an RV park, or you know, to as a business, but. You know, to park an RV somewhere, eh, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. You've got experience. You work in West Eugene. You know what the streets are like out there in those industrial areas. I don't think they're enforcing many land use laws out there to those RVs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, they are. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. But $540,000 a year, 55 vehicles. Almost ten thousand dollars a rig <laughs> annually. <laughs> oh. Don't get me started. What it costs to license one? Well, and the thing is, if you let 
some of these RV parks get built out in some of the more you know rural areas, which there's a huge demand for campsites. I can tell you, I've tried to reserve campsites. You got to go six months out to get a campsite anywhere nowadays for your for an RV. But you know, if there are more of them and and they had a, 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 an abundant supply of spaces, there would be more monthly rental sites at these RV parks. And not only would there be more places for people to live, state would actually make money instead of having to pay somebody, you know, pay a nonprofit $540,000 a year to, to get 55 RVs parked. Whereas you could, you know, permit a 55 space RV park and every night somebody's there, there's transient room tax collected because they're qualified as a campground so to speak, transient room tax, every dollar of profit that business makes has corporate income tax. And if they make more than a million bucks, they're paying the corporate activities tax on that. And they're paying property tax on the upgraded value of that RV space. But you cannot get a campground permitted anywhere within a a close distance to a city because there's this ban within 10 miles of a, of a city limit, basically, under Oregon land use law. And then just to try and go through the process of getting one permitted is near impossible. So it's like, why don't we work on that? You're making sense. That's why I won't do it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where logic be damned, you know, we're, we're doing that because we don't want sprawl. Yeah. Are campgrounds or sprawl? <laughs> There's such a recognition, though, that it's such a great way to house people in a temporary way that we waived all the fees to put an RV on a piece of property that got damaged or was completely burned out in the Holiday Farm Fire because we understood people could put an RV up there and, and move back to their properties and that they would be more likely to redevelop their properties if they're back up there. You know, there is value to them and we just don't seem to make, have a system that's going to allow for any additional capacity of that type of housing in Oregon outside of a city. And it's extremely difficult to do one inside a city. See, that's why you make too much sense to be a governor. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, that's about it for today's Bo's Nose Show. We'll be back next week, and I'm going to have a guest next week. We're going to have David Lovell on the show because he made a little announcement this morning on KPNW, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week. So stay tuned. We'll be back next Wednesday coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you.